This is episode three, season one of Strength Agenda Radio with the man of the hour, the man with the power that's too sweet to be sour. This is Strength Agenda Radio, the podcast where the strong go to get smarter. Each episode features some of the most interesting athletes and coaches in the strength world, sharing their favorite stories, expertise, biggest mistakes, and training tips. And now, here's your host, Tom Soroka. Louis Simmons has a new movie coming out, West Side versus the World. In the movie... He talks about how he's come up with the West Side Method, how he got it from the conjugate system of the Dynamo Club, how he implemented this at his gym, West Side Barbell, and how he's used this system to heavily influence the sport of powerlifting as well as other sports and training rooms and gyms across the entire globe. Um, But nine times out of ten, when you hear the name Lewis Simmons, you often hear about the controversy that surrounds the things he says or how people are either on one end or the other when it comes to his approach to training. But if you go and look in a lot of college training and conditioning rooms, a lot of pro training uh, centers, and just general fitness facilities around the world, you will see bits and pieces of the influence of the conjugate system. One thing that I want to get clear right off the bat when I hear people talking about the conjugate system is they say they train West Side. Nobody trains West Side except for the athletes that are at West Side Barbell. If you are not at West Side Barbell and you are implementing the system that Louis has derived, you are training in the conjugate method. Okay. West side is conjugate, but conjugate is not always West side. The West side method is very specific to West side barbell. A little bit of a history though, because a lot of people don't understand this is that the conjugate method itself came from the dynamo club. It was a prominent Russian club back in the early fifties and sixties that trained all sorts of sports. I believe it was somewhere in the number of 40 or so sports in Russia. They primarily focused on weightlifting, but then once they realized the system worked there, they started working with other sports. The, the, the meat and bones of the system is a is variation and rotation of main movements and a lot of accessory work that addresses your weaknesses. Uh, the program works in some form or fashion for all sports if you apply the basic principles and a lot of the training methodologies that we implement in this day and age are coming or have come from the conjugate method. Um, in my experience, uh, I, I've, I've implemented it in numerous sports. Um, my first experience was when I was in college at Aurora University in track and field. Um, box squats were introduced to me. I had never done a box squat until I got to college. Our head athletic trainer kind of pulled me to the side, took me under his wing, and, and showed me the system and how it could help with my throwing. We did box squat. We squatted two times a week, and we replaced one of those days with box squats. And then the other thing he uh, emphasized with us was max effort work and dynamic effort work. Um, This was my first experience with percentages. I had never really done anything percentage-wise before that. I kind of followed just keep going until you can't progress anymore and then pick another movement or change up the rep scheme or something along those lines. But the the dynamic effort taught me how to use percentages, how to wave percentages, and how to use that dynamic effort and that speed work based off those percentages to help improve the max effort work. Um, The two you know, in terms of accommodating resistance, we didn't do a ton of band work, but one thing that we did incorporate on our dynamic effort days was we had access to a tendo unit. For those who don't know, it's just simply a uh, device that hooks up to the barbell and it measures the speed. We would use that on our dynamic effort days, or we would use a lot of chains and stuff on max effort and dynamic effort days. Once I graduated college, I started competing in strongman and highland games. And another uh, part of a conjugate method that was introduced to me was the repetition effort. Um, this wasn't something that was very popular uh, you know, amongst bigger circles, but it kind of taught me that you can take a movement and you can go for repetition PRs on a certain movement as well as weight PRs and then your, you know, your speed PRs on the dynamic day. Um, the other thing that I really started implement, implementing a lot was specialty bars, uh, especially when it came to the squat. Camber bars, safety squat bars, um, spider bars, uh, just a regular straight bar, fat bars, all sorts of different bars for pressing, squatting, pulling, etc. Those were all implemented in the system and it made a huge impact on the way I trained. And then I kind of understood the pendulum wave a lot better on the dynamic effort days and that helped me see a lot more progress. Fast forward to when I joined Glenn Penley at weightlifting, or you know, to weightlift at MDUSA and California Strength. Um, when I first got there, I asked him how 
much he, he you know the conjugate method influ- influenced the way he trained he said not much but you could see a lot of variations and the biggest one was max effort work we went heavy a lot on on glenn's system and it was often referred to as bulgarian ish and the reason i thought it was more along the conjugate method was the variation of the movements we never did a max effort movement more than two or three weeks in a row before we switched the movement and went to something else there was a lot of variation there was a lot of rotation of uh, movements that were variations of the snatch and the clean and jerk squats stayed the same we sometimes did pulls but there was you know accessories in terms of push presses and stuff along those lines but the max effort work the snatch clean and jerk variations were always rotated every two to three weeks and it had a conjugate feel to it, the way the, the rotation and the progression of those movements went. And because we went so heavy so often in those movements, beats were not hard for us. We were able to go into a meet and we knew at any time a, a weight was put on the bar, we had felt that weight before. So I feel like that was a, a, a different dynamic of conjugate-esque training that I was exposed to. And now that I'm back in Chicago doing my own training. Um, I, I, I've gone almost reverted completely back to a conjugate base. I have Jack Canberra 50 barbell helping me out with my program and just a couple of things that, you know, he's incorporated that I didn't even do in any of my other adventures down this road, you know, a box squatting to a higher box. I was always, you know, uh, forced or or forced myself to squat to at least parallel because depth was everything and now that i'm focusing on you know being more explosive being as you know uh, powerful as possible he's teaching me different things about the box squat versus the height how to utilize the hips properly stance etc and all that and the other thing he's implementing is sumo pulls i hate the sumo deadlift for those of you who are really good at sumo deadlift good for you I am not one of those guys. I love the conventional deadlift. I love to be able to just bend over, grab that bar, and rip it off the floor. But can't do that every week. You're going to kill yourself. You're going to fry your CNS. So he's been teaching me how to do sumo pulls because A, it teaches you know, use how to utilize the hips better. And it saves the back just a little bit more. You're not pulling as much with the back. You're using the hips and the legs more in the sumo deadlift. Um, the other thing is accommodating resistance. Almost every session that I have, we are doing some form of accommodating resistance. And then the other thing that he's kind of teaching me that, you know, it has always been part of whether it was the West Side method or the conjugate method is, you know, sustainable training. You want to leave a little bit more in the tank for the next session because you don't want to completely burn out. You want to constantly be able to add each and every session because by the end of a week, by the end of the month, by the end of a year, all those little, you know, PRs, those little progress marks that you make are going to add up to some big things. So, you know, those are some of the things that I've been implementing as of late and they've been helping out tremendously. But my question is this, why is there so much hate for Louis Simmons and in particular now that he's come out with a book on weightlifting. Um, I've listened to a couple of his podcasts. I've listened to a couple other podcasts and talked to some other well-respected coaches on the matter and I keep hearing one word that makes absolutely no sense to me. Technique. They say that Louis doesn't know anything about technique. Westside doesn't teach technique. How can they teach weightlifters about the lifts when they don't know how to do the lifts themselves? Um, I've read the book. I've heard the podcast. I've talked to everybody, um, and, and from my knowledge, the, you know, from what I've seen, the book has nothing to do with technique. All it simply offers is an insight on strength work and how to make a weightlifter stronger. That is all the book is. And if you've read any of Louis's books, that's all they do is they they taught, they taught, depending on the subject matter, they give you a different uh, avenue to go about getting stronger. Uh, and the other thing that kind of you know irks me when people start talking about the West Side method and why or why it won't work is they say that it doesn't work without drugs. Powerlifters are all drugged up. They have all their gear, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but my question to you is this. How is this any different from the Bulgarian method? Um, the same claims you know, about the drugs and all that can be made for the Bulgarian method. Like the Bulgarian method, for those who are unaware, was simply maxing out every single session. They only had, I think, six or seven different exercises that they used in their training. They maxed out on those sessions. But the claim was that the only reason the method was successful was because the amount of drugs that those athletes are on. So my question to you is this, why is Westside and the conjugate approach to training so taboo because of said drugs, but the Bulgarian method, which also heavily relied on drugs, is a lot more accepted in the CrossFit community and weightlifting communities and anybody else that does snatches and clean and jerks.
just some food for thought. Uh, like I said before, both have shown that, you know, drugs are kind of needed for both. But as a coach or an athlete, our goal is to be able to grow and improve the athlete as much as possible. So why do we take some sort resources, kind of kick them to the curb and accept other resources when the premise of how both of those resources worked are the same? In reference to the West Side, you know, method or the conjugate method when it comes to weightlifting, I'm not saying that you need to start, you know, adding bands and chains to your cleans. That's not what I'm trying to get at at all. But what is wrong with adding in box squats on a second day of squatting as opposed to squatting, you know, doing free squats three days a week? Why not add in some more reverse hypers? Why not address posterior chain weaknesses outside of just heavy pulls? with all sorts of kettlebell swings and inverse curls and GHRs and all sorts of movements like that. What's wrong with doing a ton of accessory work? What's what's wrong with doing that accessory work to shore up any muscular imbalances, any weaknesses that you have in the lifts? What's wrong with incorporating sleds or strongman equipment to just kind of change things up, give the body a different stimulus from the classical snatch, clean and jerk and back squat? Just do me a favor and just make sure you're not that person. When you hear something that might be different than what you've always heard or what you've always gone by, just be a little bit open-minded because you never know what you're going to be able to find that is going to help you or athletes that you're working with be a better coach. Westside could be one of those things, and it very well could not be. All I'm asking is that you keep an open mind. What's one thing you use every training session? One thing that if you changed for under $10 would have an immediate effect on your training. For myself and my lifters, that was upgrading to Hand Armor Chalk. Hand Armor, the official chalk of USA Weightlifting, is professional grade stuff. We keep it old school in the gym with their block chalk, but for me personally, I'm a huge fan of their liquid chalk. I use it whenever I'm throwing as a base glare before I tape up my hands, and it's a total game changer. It's completely mess free, long lasting, antimicrobial, and most importantly, gives me a great grip for my entire training session. I love this stuff and recommend you give it a try. The block chalk just starts at $3 and the liquid chalk under $7. Plus, if you use code AGENDA at checkout, you get an additional 10% off. HandArmorChalk.com. Go get yours now. Welcome to Strength Agenda Radio. My guest today, um, I guess we can consider him an expert on savagery. Um, Mark Valenti is a professional Highland Games athlete. Uh, he is a five-time top 10 competitor in the uh, pro division of the Highland Games. He owns Blind Dog Gym in Lorraine, Ohio. And he is one of my go-tos on anything conjugate because of his extensive years of implementing it from high school athletes to the group fitness level. So I'm really excited to have Mark on today. Mark, how you doing, bud? Man, great. I hope I live up to that uh, billing. That was, uh, that was pretty awesome. So for those who don't know, uh, I used to compete, or I st- I compete again. I competed in the Highland Games from 2000, I don't know, nine to 2011 or so. And Mark was one of the first pros I uh, interacted. You used to come to the Chicago Highland Games all yeah. the time. Yep. And you were introduced every year for the three years I saw or threw with you as the Space Cowboy. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I was like, who the hell is this guy? And... Uh, <laughs> Then I started, you know, you there was Na, the, the NASGA boards and the forums and all that stuff, and you would post there sporadically, usually, you know, throwing gasoline on a fire. Yeah, it already nice. been started. And then <laughs> uh, I started following your, I think it was Vimeo. Um, your, you had a Vimeo account. You didn't have yeah. like your standard like YouTube or anything like that. Right. And yeah. You're posting your videos of you and your training partners and athletes you worked with in a tiny little garage. And you obviously were a big proponent of conjugate and all that stuff. And even when I was with weightlifting, I still followed and watched everything that you did. And you now own Blind Dog, which um, from the videos, pictures, all that stuff looks like a kick-ass gym. So, Mark, tell us how you got from point A to current point B. <laughs> well, uh, you know, as far as the Ludus, that was um, the, the little garage gym I had. That was about uh, 20 by 20, uh, right on the side of my house. And... Uh, it was it was literally falling down. So we had a big uh, beam in the middle bracing it up. We were constantly having to retarp the roof. And and honest to God, looking back at it, I don't know how I had anybody come in there and pay me to train them in that gym. I mean, it was ridiculous. But uh, people loved it. They, you know, it was it was 180 degrees in the summer and it was two degrees in the winter. But uh, we got some really great results out of that place. It was all conjugate. You know, we had. 
we would go through sets of bands like crazy because the you know the conditions out there would just eat them alive and um but uh we you know we we were in there running the conjugate program and uh, that's how i uh trained for the vast majority of my career was uh uh straight conjugate method um i was introduced to it uh fairly early um was a young thrower uh got hooked up with a guy named Billy Masters who was an absolute animal. He was he was a 950 squatter when the gear wasn't that great and uh, Jeez. Jeez. he was he was the local bully when we were kids, you know. He was the kid everyone was scared to death of and uh, I never told him that that you know we were all scared of him growing up. He just thought I was some guy in the gym and he kind of adopted me and brought me in and and showed me uh you know everything that Louie had showed him and and that kind of sparked my interest and, and sparked about uh, a dozen trips down to Westside Barbell to just pick Louie's brain and pick Matt Wenning's brain. And and uh, I'm the type of guy that once I get, uh, you know, onto a, a concept, I just ride it until the wheels fall off of it. And that's kind of what I did. Cool. So what is the loot? What does Ludus actually mean? Ludus was, uh, and, and Matt Wenning actually has a gym now called Ludus Maximus. And, yeah. Uh, and uh, Ludus was uh, uh, the Roman word for training center, basically, where they nice. would train gladiators, you know. Cool. And I got it from watching, uh, we were, uh, you know, it used to be just called The Garage, you know. And then uh, I was watching the old uh, uh, Showtime Spartacus uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. series, which was awesome. It was just, you know, cutting off heads and and, and having sex and the whole nine yards and uh they were talking about the Ludus where they train, and I thought, man, that'd be a killer name for a gym. So we just made up some T-shirts, and <laughs> that's how it became the Cleveland Avenue Ludus. There you go. Now, how did you get, like, and start? So go back further. Like, what was your background in high school, college, et cetera, up until your yeah. Highland game stuff? You know, I, pl- I played all the all the regular sports. Uh, I wrestled, football, swimming. Um, and uh, my father was a wrestler. I wrestled up until the time I was about a freshman in high school. I happened to see uh, a guy in the newspaper throwing in the Highland Games at a local Highland Games. Just saw a black and white picture of this guy, and I actually knew the guy. And uh, he's throwing, and uh, I said, man, that looks awesome. And I got a hold of the guy, and I said, you know, what, what do I need to do this sport? And he said, well, you need to be able to squat uh, 400 and deadlift 400 and bench press 300 and then come talk to me. Well, I couldn't do any of that stuff. I was a yeah. freshman in high school, so I just, you know, waited a couple months and gave him a call and said, "Yeah, I just did it all. Let's do this." And uh, <laughs> he pulled out his weights and got me started. And I started throwing shot and discus the same year. Um, so I put wrestling on the back burner, uh, played football in the in the fall, and then couldn't wait for it to get over with to start throwing. And uh, you know, we would. I had another couple guys that were on the football team too, so we. We'd do our practice, uh, our football practice. We'd get over at 6 o'clock. We'd ride our bikes six miles to the gym, local YMCA, and hit the weights. And, and uh, couldn't wait to start throwing as soon as the spring hit. But uh, Nice. Now, did you guys have an indoor season in high school or no? Not until my, I think, senior year. Gotcha. Uh, so our indoor season consisted of one meet. It was at Baldwin-Wallace College. And uh, I remember going there the first time we ever got to do it, and I broke the – the uh, the school record for the uh, it was I don't know what it was they had an indoor record but they didn't I guess they hadn't competed in years so it was like forty seven feet so I broke the record and who knows you know when that record was set but I remember I was yeah. pretty proud of that you know there you go yeah and then so then you started competing in the Highland Games uh, how yep. long were you an amateur and then how long have you been or are you are you a pro or or a pro, um, whatever your present situation. Right is. now, I would consider myself a master. So I'm not. Gotcha. I'm not throwing for pay. Um, uh, right now, I did 17 years as a pro, um, and then I was before that. I was four years an amateur, um, four or five years an amateur. But uh, basically, I, I threw amateur, and then I kind of, you know, you only, I only threw at my home games for a couple of years, and then yeah. I branched out and went to like Detroit and uh, uh, Pennsylvania and a couple other places. And then um, I got invited to the um, East Coast Amateur Championships 
that was in uh, Alexandria, Virginia, and I placed top three there. I think I was third, actually. So I placed third there, and then I just decided, hey, you know, I've quote-unquote made it, so I should probably turn pro. And because uh, one of the guys had told me, you know, if you, know, if you want to get better, it's what you got to do is you got to go and take your, your lumps. So um, I turned pro and, and got to see – Man, some incredible throwers, you know, Ben Plucknett and uh, Jim Goldrick and Carl Braun and all these guys coming up, Ryan Veer, and got to see the distances go up over the years. And, you know, when I uh, uh, w- when I uh, came into the sport, 36 feet won the world championships in Scotland in the, wa- in the heavyweight for distance. And, you wow. know, now guys are throwing it 49, 50 feet. So I got yeah. to see it uh, travel all the way up. Yeah, I think last year we had – there were two guys – that threw over 50 feet by the end of the year. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. There are days I don't think I can get the lightweight to go 50. Feet, so. <laughs> well, and Ty- uh, uh, Tyler uh, uh, was one, right? Uh, Spencer. Spencer. And then, Spencer uh, Tyler. Uh, Chuck Casson at the end of the year also yeah. threw 50 feet in the heavyweight. That's awesome. I, it's, that's, you know, uh, some of the guys I competed with were, were so athletic and so strong. And I, you know, and none of them got to that 50 foot range. Yeah. They were all, they always, you know, bumped right up against the line, but could never make that yeah. jump, you know, mental jump, I guess. But Good yeah, deal. it's fun so to watch. Who is, so, who is your crew? I see it feels like with the pros, there's like little pockets of groups of guys that go to the same games <laughs> in like certain regions and all that stuff. Right. Um, who, who is your crew? I think I know the answer to it, but I want yeah. to hear you talk yeah. about them. We, so it was it was me and uh, Kerry Overfelt and uh, Craig Smith and then uh, Chris Chafin somehow got attached to us. I'm not sure how that happened, but we adopted him. And uh, so that was pretty much our group. And, and uh, we would travel around terrorizing small villages. And yes, you would, yeah. It was it was fun because you got to get you, you got paid to go on a road trip with your buddies every weekend. Yep, and yep. and uh, there we were all over the country just having a blast every weekend. Yeah, I uh, God, this is 2012. I think I did it. I went down to Eminence. It was the first year uh, Ko did yeah. the Eminence games, and he had some pros down there, some amateurs, whatever. Um, it was Craig and him. Um, Chris couldn't come for some reason or whatnot. And uh, later that night, Kerry uh, was like, I don't care what you guys are all doing. I can't do his southern accent that well. But yeah, yeah, he, was, you know, he was like, I don't care what you guys are all doing. He goes, well, we're going out to eat, and then we're going out to a club. And <laughs> I had, like, Ingrid was with me, and there were a couple other, like, amateurs, and we're all like, okay, whatever. Yeah. So we went to this other place. We went to this one place, uh, nice, easy, laid-back restaurant. They, they had the best wings in the area. So he said right. – um, there was a NASCAR race going on. One of the <laughs> KO's buddies met us there for the NASCAR race and got us kicked out <laughs> because yeah. he was yelling at the bartender because the bartender was rooting for somebody else in the race. Yeah. And, the, and KO and his buddy were yelling for were rooting for somebody else. And they pissed off the bartender enough that he's like, okay, you guys got to go. Yeah. So then KO was, like, was like, all right, time for round two. And uh, <laughs> we ended up at a place called Neutral One. And it was the biggest dive hole in the wall like nightclub i've ever been into like there's big there's this big old lady at the front door and as soon as me ko and craig walked in like she was over the moon to see us wouldn't right. leave craig alone the entire night and all that stuff and all ko did was just go out on the day oh uh, kearney smith was with us too oh man i'm sorry poor guys <laughs> It was, well, but him and him and Ko were on the dance floor the entire time, <laughs> and just as the night got on, like Craig just kept getting a little more like on edge, and finally around like one o'clock, he goes, "Okay," he goes, "It's time for us to leave." Like yeah. he goes, "We we are not welcome here anymore. Like we've got to go," kind of a deal, <laughs> and we had to be like back at the field the next morning at eight o'clock and by the time we all got back to our hotel rooms, it was like one thirty two in the morning. And Ko's <laughs> like, "All right, I'll see y'all tomorrow." And he went to his room, closed the door. I'm like. So that's what it's like with Carrie. Yeah. Okay, cool, great. That's, and uh, he I, was bright-eyed, bushy-tailed the next morning, ready to go. I'm like, all right. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times that kind of stupid shit happened to us on the road. And I, to be totally honest with you, I'm amazed you got Craig to come out with you guys that night because he was always kind of the, if not the voice of reason, the voice of, I don't feel like doing that. I'm going to sit here and watch my iPad all night, you know, kind I of thing. I think it was because was it's, an, it, it started early enough. Like, we finished throwing at, like, 2. Right. And so we all went, like, we were hanging out at the field till like, 3, 3.30, went back, 
And KO was like, we are all meeting right back here in an hour. <laughs> and everybody was like, okay. And Craig was like one of the first ones there. He had his little fanny pack and his, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. his little fanny pack, his oversized t-shirt and yep. his, you know, short shorts. And he was ready to go. And I'm like, yep. all right, we're doing Like, I thought we had to like look semi-presentable. So I brought like a pair of khaki shorts and a polo. Everybody else looked, <laughs> you know, respectable. Then Craig walks out in his oversized shirt and his short yeah. shorts, the fanny pack. He might've had flip flops on. I don't remember, but he's like, right. All right, He's like, he got in my car, and he's like, let's do this. <laughs> I was like, okay, here we go. Yeah, over the years, there was way too many beer tents and way too many shady yeah. bars. And uh, it was, you know, we, it was, uh, you know, I'm glad I'm married now when when uh, I'm not doing all that insanity. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's a lot better situation. <laughs> but, man, oh, sure, we did, we did have a lot of fun, that was for sure. So, you just got back from Iceland, Masters Worlds this year. Yeah, yeah. We're in Iceland. Talk about that trip, because between you and Matt, I'm pretty sure I got stone envy watching you guys do all the cool yeah. stone challenges out there and just seeing the whole country and all that stuff. So, talk about Iceland. How how, how was that? It was, it was you know, I, and my wife and I are definitely Caribbean people, you know. I mean, yeah. if I'm going to take a vacation, it's going to be somewhere where I can just sit out in the sun and bake and um Everyone was like, dude, why don't you go? You got to go. And and finally, I just got talked into going. And yeah. uh, we uh, so I got a hold of Matt. And just by coincidence, he said he was going to be there. He didn't even know Masters Worlds was happening. And uh, he said, hey, do you want to come to Husafell and lift the Husafell stone? And I was like, fuck, yes. So um, we flew in. Uh, we We flew in overnight. So we uh, got on the airplane at 5.30, 6 o'clock our time and landed in Iceland at 5.30 in the morning. So no sleep. Get a hold of Matt. He's like, yeah, come on over. We go over there and uh, we ended up, uh, me and my wife, Matt and his wife, and then the camera crew, Brock and, and his wife, who's the camera guy, we went up to Husafell. We ended up getting there. I don't know, it was probably like 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So like haven't slept forever, but I was just so jacked up and giddy by the time we got there. You pull up and you see that goat pen that you've seen on yep. on uh, videos and pictures, and I mean, you know, there's it's this is Iceland. There's no signs that say this way to the Husafell Stone. You have to find this thing, and uh, it was like a two hour drive up there, and and we pull up and the you know the hair stood up on the back of my neck, and it was just like holy shit, I can't believe I'm going to do this, and. Uh, we played with it a couple of times. We each took a couple pulls on it and uh, it didn't feel great. You know, I was like, yeah. oh shit, this thing is heavy. And uh, How heavy is it? Finally, it's 419 pounds. And, uh, you know, there's no tacky. There's no you know, tacky, I, I, no handle. No handle. I didn't want to wear a belt because, you know, like the guys I've seen do it, you know, that just walk up and do it. You know, yeah. they weren't wearing belts. It was like just part of the adventure. So we went up and, and Matt man hey for for uh, as screwed up as he is right now with his knee he was able to lap it and uh, you could tell he was thinking about taking a couple steps and everyone was like you know don't don't try it don't screw anything up uh so he just dumped it and uh it was you know i, I knew he was doing the the drift to lift uh, and the and the and the special up there for the youtube and i said uh someone's got to lift this thing and walk with it you know we can't you know, this is going to be a pretty shitty video if, if no one walks yeah. with this thing. And it, it was a little bit of motivation. I picked the stone up and I swear to you, I, I was sitting there thinking about it and, and kind of examining the rock. And my wife yells over from the picnic table and she says, quit being a fucking pussy and lift it up. And I was like, all right, let's do this, you know. And uh, I, I lifted it and I got about a quarter of the way around. And yeah, I saw it. Yeah. Said that was it. I'm done. Hey, <laughs> and, that's further than some. I mean, some people don't even get the thing in their lap. Like that's. I was talking to uh, Terry Smith because he was up there for Masters World yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and that that's like I have a list of different stones in the world I want to lift, and you know yeah. that obviously the Husafell's on there. Um, I think my arms, my long monkey arms, will come in a little bit more handy than somebody like Terry. Terry said that his yeah. problem is he couldn't get his hands around it. Yeah. Um, like I, it literally, literally just sits in his hand because right. he's got short arms. And I kind of had the same problem, but Terry's so barrel chested. Yeah, and, he is. You know, he's, I mean, he's probably way worse than I am when it comes to that as far as, you know, yeah. arms compared to his chest. So, but, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, you got way further than, I mean, the, I still see the video. I think it's uh, Sam McMahon just picking it up like it's nothing and just doing a whole lap. I think there's, there's <laughs> what, th there's three challenges at Husafel. There's right. The I didn't even know that until after I lifted it. 
<laughs> yeah, somebody else was telling me about it that there's it, the first one is you pick it up and you make a lap around the pen. Right. Um, the other one is to lap it and place it on the go pen or on the right. on the entrance of the pen or something like that. And then what's yep. the third? I don't know. Remember what the third challenge is? The well, the, I think the there's a there's two platforms. So the the one ch- oh, okay. challenge is to put it on the short platform. The other one's to put it on the higher platform. Gotcha. Um, but of course, I didn't even know that until after we were done. But you know what everyone sees is is they want to see you walk around the goat pen with oh, it. Oh yeah, and, for sure. And then, uh, but so I mean, it was it was amazing, and it was definitely the highlight of the trip for me on day one. And yeah. Uh, yeah. and then a couple of days later, we went up to the uh, national uh, parks up there, and there was three yeah. more, four more lifting stones up there. And I ended up doing the smooth ones, right? Yeah, they were. I mean, they are, and everyone tells you, oh, they're super slippery, and you're like, yeah, whatever, it's not that heavy, you know, but. I couldn't get that 150 kilo one off the ground. You know, it was just every yeah. time you go to grab it, your fingers would just slip off. But a couple guys um, uh, that were, I think uh, Lance Keen from uh, Australia, he was able to lift it. And uh, uh, so, I mean, it's, it's definitely doable. It's, it's, so all you got to do is just put those on platforms, right? Right. Yeah. There's, and it's, it's funny, you know, I mean, like I said, it's, it's Iceland. It's just a stone platform where, yeah. You know, people have slammed this thing down on a hundred million times, and uh, you know it was no cool. chalk, no, no tacky, no nothing like no that. No chalk, no tacky. I mean, I, I'm sure some guys do, but I wasn't going to go through all that. You know, I mean, yeah. I, if I'm going to lift it, I'm going to lift it the way they lifted it 400 years ago. You know, yeah, because Terry sent me the or he posted on Facebook the the picture of the stones, and it was one of those things where. He kind of um, it, it was saying that like they used to do it, the the fishermen used to do it coming off the boat so they'd be like soaking wet from their right. travels walk over grab the stones and put them on there I'm just like yeah. yep yeah <laughs> no they weren't tackying up that's for sure so yeah but uh, it was it was pretty impressive you know and that was yeah. that was like the first three days we were there um, and then you know Masters wasn't for another three days so we did all the touristy stuff the Blue Lagoon and and uh, Walking around Reykjavik, which is, I mean, the people in Iceland are the coolest people I've ever met. I mean, just, uh, they love Americans. They are very friendly, yeah. uh, very helpful, and everyone in the country speaks Icelandic and English, so it's very easy to get around. Very cool. Yeah, so it was really So what cool. you're saying is for anybody listening that you have to go to Iceland. and needs to be, If you're a strength athlete, it has to be on your list. I, I think if you're a strength athlete, you have to go. It just... It, and I wouldn't have said this until I went, but, uh, you know, it's definitely, definitely a once in a lifetime trip and, and go and lift those stones, man. And just walk around the country and, and soak up that vibe of 500 years of, of, uh, Northmen just going out and causing ha- chaos and havoc. And it just, there's something about the place for sure. Nice. Let's, uh, switch gears just a little bit. So, um, Watching the Ludus, watching you train now at Blind Dog and all that stuff. Um, you started out as a CrossFit. You're unaffiliated now. But you implement the conjugate method on a grand scale, I would say. Yeah. Um, you've worked with numerous high school athletes, which I think when it comes to athletes, it's kind of a no-brainer how the conjugate method works. A lot of college strength and conditioning programs use it. A lot of like professional athletes will seek out Louie at Westside Barbell and work yeah. with him and all that stuff. But the thing that intrigues me is you do it with the group fitness yeah. demographic. So soccer moms, yeah. you know, uh, doctors, lawyers, you know, teachers, et cetera, the people that just want to come in and work out for an hour right. or hour and change or whatever, like you implement this program with them. Um, talk about that. Like, how does that work? What do you go through? Like, what's the mentality? Like, how do you set that up like month to month, week to week, training block to training block and all that? And yeah. And what kind of results do you get? Have you been getting from, you know, your members using this, uh, the, the method? You know, it's, it's, it's a really weird environment and we started out, you know, trying to basically, I think the way most gym, you know, uh, functional fitness gyms start out just trying to find our way. My wife was a regional competitor uh, down in uh, Texas, and we were just trying to figure out, you know, how how are we going to train these people? And eventually we just said, you know what, we're going to go back to training the way I've always trained people. And that's with the conjugate method. And like I said, I had spent I'd taken about a dozen trips me and Carrie and and me and a few other people would go down to to talk to Louie and and uh just keep our mouths shut and our ears open and I would take stuff back and implement in the Ludus but 
when we uh, opened open Blind Dog, we kind of created this community of people who come in wanting to look good and, and mm-hmm. just get healthier. And then within a few months, they're trying to break deadlift PRs and they're, you know, it becomes an obsession for them. Just like, you know, all of us have gone through where you just kind of get addicted to that iron. And um, there's definitely uh, people who blind dog isn't for them. And, and for them, there's, you know, 15 other functional fitness gyms in the area they can go to, but uh, we get, we get this weird group of of people who have just become addicted to the weights and you know the way we we implement it, it it's not ideal and uh you know as far as i'm concerned i'd like for them to be able to do a, a monday tuesday thursday friday split uh just like just like uh i currently do and have always done but you know as the week goes on in the gym my mondays and tuesday max effort days for people are packed to the roof Wednesday gets a little bit lower. Thursday gets a little bit lower. Nobody shows up on Friday. You know, it's as the week yeah. goes on, people are getting beat up and you know, they're, they're not uh, high level athletes. They're normal people. And mm-hmm. uh, so what I do is I try to get all four days in uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then they can have Friday, Saturday, Sunday to rest if they want. So it, you know, it's not the ideal way to implement that system, but it's the way we implement it. And it works really well with them. Um, we, we do, we'll run, you know, 70 to a hundred people through there every day. Um, and, uh, my, my, all my instructors are, are, uh, CrossFit L1s, but, uh, we're going to move them all over to the West side cert, uh, as their certifications, uh, drop off. Cause I mean that, that they're getting an education in conjugate and they're really good at it. You know? Yeah. Um, I have, uh, it's it's to a point now where I have a real confidence in my staff that I've never had before, and uh, we have some very accomplished people on the staff. And uh, as far as the results we're getting, it, it's really been fantastic. Um, we've got, I think, twenty last count. I think we had twenty one girls over three hundred pounds in the deadlift. Um, you know, we've got. Uh, uh, probably a similar amount of guys over 500 pounds in the deadlift, uh, bench presses. Uh, I just switched the bench press board today. I think the lowest, uh, bench press we have is 370, um, as far as the top five guys on the board. And it's, I think between 440 and 370. And these aren't, these aren't, uh, guys who are training for anything in particular. They're accountants and lawyers and, and, uh, garbage truck drivers and, and everything in between. And, uh, it's kind of cool because, you know, we give them their workout for the day and they come in and they see what's on the board and they know the rhythm and what they don't know what the workout's going to be. But they know that, you know, today's Tuesday. We're going to be doing some kind of heavy max effort bench press today. But um, the thing I like to see is when the hour workout's done, they know what their weaknesses are and what they need to work on. And they're over in the corner dragging, you know, either outside dragging a sled or they're on the reverse hyper or they're doing some upper back work because they know that, you know, that's what's going to make that – that uh, you know, bench press go up, or or you know, that deadlift get higher. So, so you don't program accessory work, so to speak. You just say like pick like two or three things and get well, to it. Or how do you how do you structure that? That's so, that's yeah. what always interested me because I, for those who don't know, I used to own a CrossFit, and on strength days, like I, we, it was always hard for me to program accessory work because that's the first thing people skip. Like when they think yeah. CrossFit or they think fitness or functional, whatever yep. they think about the conditioning and looking good naked, right, but they don't right. want to do the strength work, yep. um, which we did a lot of strength work when I wrote the programming, but the accessory work was always neglected. And it's even that way. Uh, it was that way with the weightlifters. Now they're kind of figuring it out yeah. that they're getting a lot of compliments on their shoulders and sure. their arms and all that stuff. So we're like, Oh, accessory work. What are we doing for accessory work today? But how do you implement that in a group setting? Like that, that's, that's what interests me. So uh, let's, you know, we'll go over what we did yesterday. So, and what we do is we work on a three week pendulum wave yeah. and uh, week one is, it tends to be higher uh, or longer um, conditioning workouts. Um, week two, the conditioning workouts get a little bit lower, a little bit more accessories by week three. Sometimes it's, it's um, two or three days of just straight lifting with bodybuilding stuff thrown in but even on week one so we're on week one this week yesterday they did um uh they did a heavy deficit deadlift 
then we did a, a four rounds for time Metcon that took the majority of the the class 10 to 15 minutes to finish. And then what I gave them yesterday was I want 50 reps in whatever posterior chain exercise you think you need. And, uh, and I tell them every time I say, look, don't do the one that you like, do the one you hate because that's the one you probably, you probably need, you know? So we've got two reverse hypers and uh, what's great to see is that people are all over those reverse hypers. Uh, So they'll go back there and hit that. And, um, you know, we had one group just doing good mornings in one of the classes. So we had five guys just loading up, working up to a heavy five in the good morning. Um, nice. But, yeah, that's how we do it. So, you know, and today they had to do uh, uh, some JM presses after the Metcon. And we always throw in some auxiliaries at the end. And then what will happen is I'll walk up to somebody. And I'll say, hey, John, uh, your upper back is your problem in the deadlift. We need to do some extra upper back work. And I say, Hey, here's the three exercises I want you to rotate through. And I need you to get like 300 reps a week on one of these exercises, you know, and nine times out of 10, they'll, they'll do it. You know, Um, it's, it's just the culture I think we've created and absolutely. And, uh, it's, it's, um, you know, we, we don't do too many, uh, we keep the the conditioning under 15 minutes, uh, 15 minutes and under most times just to make sure we get everything in. And we don't do those long grinder 30 minute workouts most days, you know. God, no. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm not I'm I'm uh, like 10, 15 minutes for conditioning. Anything more yeah. than that? And I'm like, no, thanks. Yeah. And I don't think you need much more than that. You know, Miranda no. Oldroyd talked about uh, she, she put out a, a blog a couple years back saying if you think that these 30 minute grinder wads are what are going to get you to regionals. You're crazy. That's mm-hmm. not what we do. We, you know, we, we, we go really fast. We, we work the, 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 uh, auxiliaries, we work the heavy lifting and, you know, you have to be able to do everything, but doing a 30 minute Metcon every day is not going to get you where you want to go. No, no. I mean, that was the thing is, so I, I work with a few, like a fitnessers, what I always refer to them to yeah. and all that. And they always complain about the amount of lactic threshold work that we do. I, I am mm-hmm. a huge proponent of intervals, EMOMs, um, yeah. stuff like that, or like yeah. what I'll do, or death by, things like that. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the complain, 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 and then regional, or not regionals, uh, the open comes around. And that is essentially what every open workout is. Yeah. It's how long can you hold on to like being in pain, essentially. Yeah. Yep. And like, cause they're usually capped. They're usually no longer than about 20 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all, all the guys, all the guys and girls that I work with are like, Oh, that, that, that wasn't that bad. I'm like, yes, <laughs> that's, that's, that's why we're doing what we're doing. That's why um, I'm coach and you're yeah. athlete. And, now you the know. other thing that intrigues me about your gym is your use of strongman in the conjugate method. Now that in and of itself is not a foreign concept. Louis, you know, is a big fan of sled work. Yeah. Um, like, you know, wheelbarrow work, stones, stuff like that. Um, but the fact that you implement it again on a large scale with your garbage truck drivers, with your accountants, with your soccer moms and all this. So how does that work? Like, is, cause one, my favorite posts that you make on Instagram are the ones where you've got some lady loading like a 200 plus pound stone. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like those are my favorite because nine out of 10 people are going to look at that and be like, Oh, I can never do that. But I guarantee you the lady in that photo or that video said the exact same thing every single a couple one months prior. And then I'm like, so, yep. so give me like your top five, top 10 on the women's side in particular. Cause that's probably going to be more impressive than the guys. Cause guys, whatever guys can, you know, with the right competition can do just about anything, but the ladies, I feel like it takes a little more coaxing, a little more convincing yeah. to do um, stuff like stones and logs and all that. So how do you do that? Our top five women uh, have all hit 250 in the Atlas stone. Our, we've got the record board up there. They're all hitting 250. And my wife has, has lapped the 260. And right now that 260 is, it's a race. These chicks are into it. And yeah. I mean, it's, they're trying to come to class every time we've, lifted stones last uh two times we've done it uh they're trying to come to class early and earlier so they can be the first one to load it you know so it's it's pretty yeah. competitive um but you know we've got 70 some atlas stones in there and you know we we slip them into conditioning workouts we mm-hmm. um we do them as part of uh you know we'll do a um, kind of a, a a complex with them where we'll lap it once we'll take it to the load position two or three times then up to our shoulder um so we use it as, as kind of an auxiliary. Um, 
log pressing, we, we, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll say uh, you can do clean and jerks or you can go do the log press, you know. So, you know, we That's don't do awesome. RXs. We don't, uh, we don't, um, we don't. No, you don't uh, need to. Yeah, it, it's we either work in percentages or we just say as heavy as you can handle. Um, and uh, it works out really well. That um, I think uh, if Louie wanted to, Louie could train strong men no problem. And the conjugate method is so flexible. Um, you, you know, some people see the conjugate method and they say, oh, well, that's for power lifters. That's not going to work mm-hmm. for this or that sport. But all it takes is a little bit of know-how and a little bit of understanding of your sport. You can tweak the conjugate method to do just about anything that involves strength or power or speed. Well, my biggest thing right now is all the weightlifters. Like, Louie put out a book on um, conjugate for weightlifting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've got it on the shelf. Yeah, I, I ordered one as well. Um, but he he has said time and time again, it is not a technique book. He goes, I am not a technique coach. Yeah. He goes, this is a strength manual. And the amount of backlash he got from the weightlifting community astounds me because I wonder how many of those same people that are like, no, Westside is dumb, it does, it's not for weightlifting, realize that it came from weightlifting. Right, right, yeah. Um, like the Dynamo Club back in, God, was it the 50s, 60s, was like the prominent training center and they worked with all the sports in Russia, yeah. but primarily they worked with weightlifters, and they had a variety of exercises and all that. And Louis just simply took those texts, yeah, and like you said, tweaked them and modified them for his sport. Yeah, yeah. I I, uh, I read the Bud Charniga books before I knew who Louis was, and it was like, yeah, this is really difficult. I mean, they they were very technical and very difficult to read. Um, and I got through them, and then when I found Louis, it was like a, a light switch turn on. It's like, yep. oh, now this all makes sense to me. Yeah, I have the book of his, his the first version of his book of methods. Yeah, sitting on my nightstand right now. Yeah, um, when he came out with the weightlifting, I, I tend to um, throw all weightlifting questions. Uh, I've got a, a good friend, uh, Doctor Don Bassesi, who uh, is uh, uh, I, we talked about him. He's from your area uh, originally, yeah. and he lives down in Florida now. And you know he's yeah, a he's, he's an a, old Sarah Park guy, right? Yeah, yeah, and he's a weightlifting weightlifting genius in my book. And you know, I I said, hey, have you checked this book out? And he absolutely loved it. And he mm-hmm. he loves conjugate method for weightlifting. And uh, and that was the thing. I think I think the majority of people who were against the conjugate method for weightlifting book probably didn't read it. Or you know, there's a lot of old school guys that just don't want to admit that it's very hard to take something you've believed in your whole life. You know, if you're a, if you're a hardcore Christian and you've been told your whole life that Jesus is the path and Jesus is the path, and then you run into something somewhere that makes you think, even if you, you know, it's very hard to say, Oh, have, has 20 years been a waste of my life? You know, or it's, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to change that, that thinking, you know, and, and uh, I think it's the same way. It's these guys that that uh, have been, uh, you know, doing the same thing over and over and over again for 20, 30, 40 years. It's yeah. very difficult yeah. to to try to go in an entirely different direction. But um, I think that's where the majority of your backlash came from. Yeah, it, it was it was definitely as somebody who has experienced both sides of the coin. It was definitely intriguing to watch. Um yeah, just simply for the the amount of lack of knowledge on both ends. Like, um, a lot of powerlifters don't realize that it came from weightlifting. So, right. and then vice versa. Like, a lot of weightlifters don't realize that it came from weightlifting, and there's just a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of like over assumption. Like I said, a lot of people thought Louis was trying to change weightlifting technique wise. No, Louis's yeah. Like, Louis's like, I give a crap less about technique. I just want to show you guys how to get stronger without right. having to squat every day or this or that and all that nonsense. But going back to um, Blind Dog, um, for anybody that is a proponent or a fan of the conjugate method, like what are some steps you would recommend to them to be able to implement that, implement the conjugate method using all sorts of movements, exercises, the gymnastics, um, because that was my that was a favorite part of mine. Um, the uh, CrossFit coach I used to work with, uh, Rudy Nielsen, um, he his way of taking he he's a big conjugate um, proponent as well. But he the way he would implement the conjugate method with gymnastics movements, um, he he was a big max effort in terms of like um, the the like handstand push up stuff like that. And then he was a repetition effort. 
Um, he didn't do too much. Obviously, you can't do too much with bands and stuff like that. But he would do sure. like repetition effort based on percentages of your max effort work. What What would you recommend somebody wanted to implement it on a larger scale or with like a group setting? Like, what are some steps they could take to have the proper, I don't know, confidence, knowledge base to get that going? Well, and that's that's you just hit the nail on the head. I think it, it's having that knowledge base. I think if you're going to implement the conjugate method, I think. It, if you're anywhere near Columbus, Ohio, your first step is just go down there and watch and, and just hang out at Westside for the day. Louis is very good. He loves to talk. Um, he wants to bring it to more people. You know, he didn't know me from Adam. And he still he wouldn't know me now if I saw him. He's not real good with faces and names. But uh, uh, I just got a hold of Doris and said, hey, I'd like to come down. Yeah, absolutely. And, she, you know, he never turned me down. And, and I would just go down there and learn. Um, read the books. And then, you know, another cool thing to do is to talk to people who aren't at Westside, but have taken conjugate and moved it in different directions like Matt mm-hmm. Wenning did. Um, Matt has taken conjugate and it, it, he's made it almost a different animal. Yeah, um, It's still conjugate, but it's his version of it. And yep. it's really cool. And that's what we're trying to do at Blind Dog is just make it our version of conjugate. You know, we don't do a lot of gymnastics. Um, you know, I, I always tell people. You know, if you like CrossFit, that's great, and and you're going to get some some aspects of that with us. But you're not going to get high level gymnastics. You're not going to get high level weightlifting. The, the 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 main reason for that is you don't want me teaching you how to do a muscle up. You know, I'm 250. I've never done a muscle up in my life. Um, and oh my, come on, I can do it. You can do it. <laughs> no, trust me, I've tried it a million times. But, and you don't want me teaching you cleans and snatches because I'm I can't even hold a rack position. You know, but yeah. Um, my wife is fantastic Olympic weightlifter. If we had a kid come in and wanted to be an Olympic weightlifter, I would do the programming. She would do all the technique work, you know. Yeah. Um, so our place is conjugate uh, with a with a good amount of strongman in there, um, and then uh, and then it's powerlifting instead of the Olympic lifting, and it it, it takes a, a knowledge base to get that confidence in, in, mm-hmm. in uh, being able to say, you know what, I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm going to do what I know how to do best. Um, I'm not going to worry about uh, high level gymnastics because that's not what I do. And no matter how much I do it or how much I, I try to learn it, I'm still not going to be the best guy in the area at, at gymnastics. It's just never going to happen. So, you know, you and I both know that, that uh, you don't need gymnastics to be in shape and look good and, and be strong. Um, and if I was good at gymnastics, I'd throw it in there because you can obviously get really, you know, really jacked yeah. and really strong doing it. But uh, there's a million different ways to slice up that pie. And this is just the way we do it. And uh, I think the knowledge base is where the confidence comes from. And uh, and then it's just trying to instill that, that – uh, attitude in your community that you know it's super important that a high school english teacher be able to squat 300 pounds if you're a girl you know that's just that it's super important don't you realize that that's super important you have to be able to do that (laughs) you know once you get that attitude and it it becomes fun for them and, and that's the key just have some fun doing this stuff absolutely now you're you work with a lot of athletes in the area i mean you've i've, I've seen i i feel like it's in the droves now that I see you posting video or videos or pictures of kids who are signing, you know, letters of intent and all that. Do you implement the same exact methods with those kids as you do your group classes? Is it slightly different? Yeah. How do you we, go about it? To tell you the truth, our athlete population in this area has dwindled a little bit. Um, oh, okay. Just the kids aren't, aren't, you know, we've probably got six or seven in there now, but it's not like they used to be, you know, it's, yeah. it's difficult to wrestle with, with high school football coaches to get yes. in there. And I, and to tell you the truth, I honestly don't need it. You know, I, it, when I was working with athletes, it was always a constant struggle to get these kids in there. And now if they want to come in, I know that I've got a kid who's worth working with, you know, cause they yeah. will be a hundred percent committed. But when we were working uh, primarily with um, high school athletes, now, again, you and I both know that making a high school athlete stronger, if you can't do that, you should just retire now and go into some other other yes. profession. Yes. Um, but we always implemented the the conjugate method with them. You know, it was the exact same program. Um, well, not the exact same. When we were in the Ludus, it was it was a similar program to what we run now without as much conditioning because we just didn't have the room for conditioning. But when it was decent out, we'd run prowlers or, or run sprints. And 
Yeah. But, uh, you know, it was absolutely the same program, you know, same max effort, uh, same speed day, uh, you know, that we're doing now. And, uh, they really got some good success and, and, you know, I know I, you know, I said it's, it's pretty easy to get high school kids strong and fast, but there's definitely good and bad ways of doing that. And, mm-hmm. and we did have some great results and uh, a lot of good track athletes, a lot of good football players and uh, it worked out really well. Nice. Nice. So if you are in the Lorraine area, definitely recommend checking out blind dog. If you were a conjugate head, um, but now for a little bit of fun, Mark, we're going to do yes. some lightning round questions. Okay. <laughs> okay. Before we head into the lightning round of questions, I wanted to take a moment to talk to you about recovery. From yoga to cryotherapy, portable stim units to float therapy, and everything in between, more athletes are realizing the power of recovery and making it a priority. In our gym and across the United States, both professional and recreational athletes alike are enjoying the benefits of the Normatec Pulse Therapy System. We have a set of the leg boots and just a 15 minute session is all it takes for my lifters to get fresher legs faster. We love to pack up our unit in the handy carrying case and take it on the road to meet. Especially after a long drive, it's like having a massage therapist on call. And as a gym owner, it's a no-brainer to add another hassle-free revenue stream to my books while helping my athletes get access to better, faster recovery. Visit normatechrecovery.com and use Strength Agenda to take a whopping $100 off the purchase of a unit. normatechrecovery.com. That's N-O-R-M-A-T-E-C or click straight from the show notes. Now back to the show. My, this is my wife's concept. I love it. Um, and it's just, I'm gonna, we got a little bit of time here, so I'm going to ask you five yeah. questions, just off the cuff. Um, some of these might be repeats, so I apologize if people have heard them, but oh well. So first one <laughs> I want to ask you, if there was one state in the entire United States you could get rid of, which would it be and why? Oh, you know, probably California. Um <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I am definitely not a political guy, but there's enough strange people in that area to, uh, if I had to get one, I'm guessing that would probably be where I would start. Nice. That's better. The last few, uh, um, times I've asked that question, it's been my dear state of Illinois because we're <laughs> such a cesspool in terms of financial straits. So my only problem with Illinois is I, you know, I used to, uh, drive my wife's from wisconsin so i'd have to drive up to milwaukee and the trip yeah. would be going great until i hit chicago and then oh, you, get, God, you had to yeah. pay to pay to sit in traffic so yeah seriously well that, that was the thing is like we I, when we, we lived in south carolina for a little bit and right around the charlotte area i used to love listening to people in charlotte complain about traffic <laughs> yeah it doesn't like, exist guys, i'm like you guys don't understand like and, I, and it's also funny because then you people from chicago complain and you got the people from new york or la that are like traffic like you don't know traffic in right. those areas, so it's just dependent on where you're at. But yes, Illinois or uh, Chicago traffic is pretty much up there and and some of the worst ever. Okay. Uh, oh, this is this will be a good one for your uh, KO adventures and stuff. Penguin walks into the bar, uh, walks through that door, and is wearing a sombrero. What is he saying to you, and why is he there? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, man, he would probably be looking for the nearest Inuit tamale restaurant, I'm guessing something like that. <laughs> there you go. All right. Um, little more serious, but are you a hunter or are you a gatherer? Um, I would love to be a hunter. Um, I, I guess, uh, I'm more of a gatherer, uh, cause I will, uh, go shopping and, and hit the grocery shopping pretty hard. But, uh, yeah. I wish I had that whole, uh, ability to go out and and bring down a deer and gut it and have my own meat but uh, i just uh didn't grow up with that skill set there you go um your favorite 90s jam windows down you're driving down the road what were you what were you rocking out to 90s um so music pretty much ended for me in 1992 so okay i'm probably gonna think like late um uh Motley Crue, something like Kickstart Your Heart, maybe, or something like there that. <laughs> you know? There you go. I'm an old hair metal guy. All right, and then last one. If you were a pro wrestler in the WWE, what is your name and what is your walkout song? Wow. Um, you know, I wrestled for about 15 minutes in the late <laughs> 90s, um, and I was uh, – um, they made me Mark the Predator Valentine, and I came out to uh, Bulls on Parade. So, 
That's pretty legit. I guess I'll take that. Yeah, that is. I, I would take that. That's Mark the Predator Valentine. That <laughs> yeah, is, they they made they thought Valenti was too too ethnic sounding, and that people would screw it up and call me Valentine oh, anyhow. Which they oh for sure. Yeah, just Absolutely. changed that. All right, well that does it for that. Mark, plug time. What do you got to plug? Uh, man, uh, Instagram. We are Blind Dog Strong or at Blind Dog Strong. Uh, we have started our own podcast, the Refined Savage yes. Podcast. Oh my god, I forgot to mention that. That is phenomenal. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. My last, the, 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 when talking about the stones, when um, one of the guys was talking about taping change plates to the stones yeah, just so right. he could edge out the other guy, I was dying laughing. I'm like, that's yeah. genius. Why haven't I thought about that with yeah. our sandbags? They've asked me for sure if they could do that. But yeah, we're having yeah. a good time doing it. Uh, the Refined Savage podcast. We've got about uh, eight episodes up. We do a lot of strength training, we do a little bit of um, uh, kind of offbeat history. Uh, stuff kind of yeah. Dan Carlin, Daniele Boelli style, and then uh, we'll do uh, just a conversation between me and Tom Wainick, who's my co-host, and uh, we just will rant on on stuff. So check that out, and uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. The gym and and uh, the podcast, and man, we're having a blast doing it. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for being on, and um, thanks for having me. This this has been phenomenal. Hopefully, you guys took a lot away in terms of implementing different training systems into a group setting in particular for this one the conjugate method um check out strength agenda radio check out www.thestrengthagenda.com i am tom soroka that is mark valeni thanks for tuning in guys thanks for listening to strength agenda radio be sure to visit strengthagendaradio.com to join the conversation access the show notes and discover exclusive offers and resources for our listeners until next time train hard lift heavy